So, James, we had a great episode today, didn't we? I love that yes. interview with Elena. Yeah, one of my favorites, actually. I just think um, it's there's so few content creators in our industry, and myself mm-hmm. being one of them. Um, I love what she's doing on LinkedIn, and so I enjoyed kind of getting her, you know, more of the full, uh, right? the full version of her opinion. You know, it was great. Yeah, yeah. I had read her stuff on LinkedIn, and it was like, oh man, I can't wait for this interview because I really want to dive into some of these things because it's, she takes an approach that's that's so refreshing. Yes. Um, yes, I and, agree. Uh, and I, I and I think that uh, your question from the field was equally refreshing, James. We want to uh, give you. folks a little hint about that. Yes, yeah, so I just talk about a conversation, a very kind of transparent, honest conversation I had yesterday with a, a you know an agent in an industry that's makes six figure residuals, uh, who's struggling a little bit with like, should I you know how much should I keep working, and and he really wants to accomplish his potential, but he's not. And I talk about some of the challenges I've personally overcome in, in that area, um, and some other agents I've spoken with, and just give some kind of tips along those lines. Um, and then Patty, a, a popular topic here interchange right tell us about interchange the insiders. and uh you know merchants are chipping away you know it's sort yep. of like durban amendment was that camel's nose under the tent yeah and uh, now it looks like uh part of the head is getting under the tent or it's <laughs> certainly trying to find its way in so you know yes. i'm not going to give any more uh clues to that but stick around for my insiders report i think you'll find it interesting and uh today's episode is sponsored by valor paytech uh, you can go to their website or you can uh, go to ccsalespro.com slash Valor. Awesome. Let's get this interview going. Let's go. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. We're here today with Elena Smith. She is the founder and CFO of Secure Bank Card. How are you doing today, Elena? I'm doing well. Thanks, James. Thanks, Patty. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. Yeah. So, uh, I'm yeah, I'm really excited actually about this topic today. So I've been following, as I'm sure many of in our audience have uh, been following Elena's posts on LinkedIn. And um, today we really want to talk about, you know, how much control over things like pricing and kind of merchant experience do, you know, experienced agents and smaller ISOs and how much control should they really have in order to maximize retention um, and minimize attrition, obviously. Um, and so we're going to dive into that topic. But before we do that, Elaine, it's been a little while since you were on the podcast. So can you give our audience your backstory? How did you get into this crazy industry and, and kind of just, you know, what is Secure Bank Card? Why are you doing what you're doing today? Give us a little backstory. Sure. sure. Well, I think most people say that they stumbled into payment somehow. I would, I like to say I was actually dragged <laughs> um, and that was my own doing. Uh, my husband, Kevin, has been in payments for 30 plus years. He's been doing this for Forever. Um, and he was building wholesale ISOs or managing wholesale ISOs for other companies for the longest time and finally talked him into, hey, it's time to go. It's time to go do this out on your own. Mm-hmm. And when he did that, I'm a finance person. My background is as a CPA. So I was the natural selection for, hey, you know, you're going to be my finance person if we go do this. So that's how I got into it. And honestly, as we started, um, my kids were really young. They were, you know, in preschool and, and infant. Um, we actually had my third as we just got started. That was, you know, we started the company and then, Hey, I'm pregnant. <laughs> wow, yeah. uh, so for the first few years, I would say it was survival mode for me. I was just doing as much as I could and participating and helping where I could. Mm-hmm. Then finally they went off to school and I had all this time, you know, 7.30 to three o'clock in the day. I'm like, hey, here I am. You know, the fog is lifted. I'm ready to go. I'm ready. And then I got really excited about it. I just love payments. And I feel like it's the perfect thing for my accounting background. Oh, yeah. I feel like it's such a complimentary, um, you know, business to be in um, with accounting. 
But I did start to see as I got into it, I started to see for payments for something where it's based on math and it's supposed to be exact. There's one right answer in math. It's either right or it's wrong. And with payments, I found that a lot of the time we are just good, we're good enough with close enough. And I don't feel like that's an acceptable answer. So that was one thing that I noticed. And then I kind of tapped into some of the stuff that you were doing, James, with the community of agents that you were building. And I love that community. Agents are so good about sharing knowledge and helping each other. There's that camaraderie, there's that community among them, and they all really wanna help each other succeed. And I love that about them. But then you go from the agent community to the next level, you know, the ISO and beyond. And that sharing, that knowledge sharing seems to stop to happen and stop happening. And I don't understand why that is. I'm over here, you know, hey, there's a lot of exciting stuff to talk about in payments. Let's start talking about it. And I couldn't find those people that were having those conversations. So I said, Mm -hmm. hey, you know what? If it's not happening, then I'm going to be the change that I want to see. And so that's why I started to, you know, be active with starting the conversation and getting other people to talk about it. And let's share knowledge and let's help each other. And let me show you that by giving somebody something and helping them, it's actually going to help you when it comes back right. to you in that way, if, right. you, if yep. you do it without any expectation. So that's yeah. kind yeah. of the long-winded backstory. That's yeah. a great story, I have to say, Elena. It's a, and I, I just love it, the fact that, I mean, you're right. I mean, I've been in this industry for, in, the, in this part of the payment space for over 20 years, and I never understand it. I go to these regional associations, right? And everybody's like in the corners and they're talking to each other and they're swapping war stories. And then I go to like the ETA and it's like, oh, watch out. That's that's our competitor coming by. Don't let Yeah, it's very, they hold it very close to the vest. And if you have something that you can't have a conversation about and you feel like somebody's going to steal that idea, then maybe it's not such a great, a idea. great idea. Maybe <laughs> we don't have anything that we need to protect because if it's that easy to replicate, you need to work harder. That's my, yeah. that's a little bit I love bold, that. but that's yeah. just the way that I feel. Yeah, it's not like it's not like we're building semiconductors here. Like, this industry's been around for a long time. We accept payments, we move it into the merchant's bank account. Like, there's some moving pieces, but like, yeah, I I I agree. And and I want to say right off the bat, actually, before we even get into the questions, um, just because I'll probably reference it a few times in the interview. If you're not already following Elena on LinkedIn, you should do that. And what she's referencing, I I think here, Elena, what you're saying is that you know, like on Facebook, we have the CC Sales Pro community for the agents. But what Elena has done is kind of created that same kind of community effect through her LinkedIn profile with the ISO community and, and the more experienced agents. So um, it's Elena Smith. We'll give you a direct link later in the in the interview, but definitely look up uh, Elena Smith and her posts on, on LinkedIn. So so let's dive into this because, I again, I know you've been posting a lot of content about this. Let's talk about attrition, you know, talking about things that are no secret in the industry. Well, it's no secret that most ISOs are losing one in five every year. Like that's, that's industry average. That's insane. So- right. How big of an issue is this, Elena? And, you know, at a high level, you know, when you look at what you're trying to do with Secure Bank Card, I know you have a very different approach. Give us kind of the high level here. Like, what are you doing to make an impact and how big of a problem is this in your mind? Oh, I think it's a huge problem. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we are too focused on the short-term win instead of a long-term strategy. We are so focused on throwing accounts up and just getting that win, getting one account, you know, with a certain dollar volume of processing. And then we don't think about the things that we need to do to service that account in the long term. Right. Uh, I think that we're also too focused overall on the, the count of merchants that we have and the dollar volume that we're processing. 
that's great to have that macro view, but you've got to bring it back down to the micro level. And we have to think about, did we service that one merchant account in the right way? Did we service that one transaction? Did we process that correctly? Did we bill it correctly? Did we you know, fund it on time? All of those little details that go into account on every the, that micro level, did we do all of those things very well? And a lot of the time, I think that we don't because we're so obsessed with just growing bigger, 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 bigger. And we just mm-hmm. lose sight of the smaller picture that we, that's right in front of us. I think a lot of times too, we go in pushing our solutions to merchants. You know, we have one terminal or one device that we get really excited about it. And we go door to door to door to door, trying to push that same solution and making it work uh, into every single merchant and business that we come across instead of stepping back and saying, what are you struggling with? Mm -hmm. What are your problems? How can I help you? What does your solution not do for you today? And that's the stickiness. We all talk about the stickiness, right? Like no matter what they're paying, you want it to be so good that they don't want to go anywhere else. And then you're not competing on price. You're competing on value instead. Um, I think another mistake that we make is we try to sell into every opportunity that we come across thinking that we have the solution for every single business. Mm -hmm. We do not. I wish that I did. We would, you know, we would all be wildly successful beyond our wildest dreams, but That's not the reality. And you do those businesses a disservice when you try to push your solution on them when it's not the right solution. So build a network of people that you can work with that if you can't service service it, you know exactly the person that can and you can Mm -hmm. send it off and be fine with not, um, you know, not servicing it yourself because you're going to end up doing them a disservice anyways. If you try to take it, it's going to, it plays into the attrition problem, right? And then the other thing is the consistency. So making sure that we are delivering consistent service uh, for clearing, for funding, for billing. We have to get all of those things exactly right. So for agents and ISOs, they need to be sending business to a place that they can trust, that they know is going to do it right every time. If they don't do it right every time, what are they doing about it? Are they standing up in front of it and owning it and saying, hey, this is why it happened? And this is why it's not going to happen again. And this is what we're doing to correct it. Or are they using the complexity of payments to hide behind it and not own it? So I think it works on both sides. It's our job to provide that consistency mm-hmm. uh, as a wholesale ISO. That is what we need to do for ISOs and agents. And then on the flip side, you need to find that home where you feel comfortable sending business and try to just give them the, the perfect solution for what they need, not what you want them to need. You know, one thing I want to just interject, I know Patty has a question, kind of dive into more of the details of the experience, but, you know, two things actually that you said that really stuck out to me there, Elena. One of them is, is it just me or is it shocking how little our industry talks about retention? And, and you know, yeah. and what I mean by that is, you know, one of my big goals content-wise in 2022, I would love that when agents are researching an ISO to potentially sell for them, I would love for it to become commonplace for them to ask, sure, what's your schedule a cost, right? What's your residual split, bonuses, mm-hmm. equipment options? What is your retention rate? Like, yeah, right. No one ever asks that. And it's, yeah. it's and that's an that's a very good indicator of how well someone is doing, right? Right. Exactly. And it it can mean a lot of things. It can mean that you're selling the wrong solutions into the wrong merchants. But it can also mean that you know your core business, you're focusing on that core business, and you pay attention to the details. 
um, we actually looked into a lot of, you know, we did the attrition project and looked into why are we losing merchants? How many merchants are we losing? And it's interesting, the ones that we did lose, you know, the majority of them were because we sent them on their way. It's not mm-hmm. the, the other way around. It's because they had chargeback issues where they weren't paying their bills. Those aren't the kind of merchants that I want. Right. Um, but it ended up being, maybe we don't have an attrition problem. Maybe we have in a problem with qualifying the right merchants in the beginning. You know, But we're, not, if we're getting people who aren't right. paying their bills and we're getting people that have chargeback problems. We have an issue internally with maybe we're taking business that we shouldn't be taking in the first place. So we had the kind of opposite problem, but that's good news for us that we weren't losing people right. because we weren't servicing them well. That's the worst problem that I want to have. I never want to have that problem. Yeah. 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 And the, the other thing you said too, that, that was interesting to me, was this idea that, you know, not every, you know, not every opportunity is right for every, you know, agent. And I think that goes to kind of the, the idea in our industry is kind of, you know, historically been everybody is a potential uh, merchant, you know, you, you sell payment <laughs> processing. Well, everybody accepts payments. Right. Hard to walk away from those opportunities, right? Right. Yeah, but I think what's happened is over the last kind of five years, the narrative has kind of been like, well, now with integrated payments and different solutions that are out there and things, you know, all of a sudden, you know, it it is a little bit more verticalized, a little more specialized, right? And so I think that's interesting. There's a lot of agents that, you know, if if you really want to be successful today, kind of kind of zeroing in, and not not that you have to be like, oh, I only sell this one solution to one business type, but just kind of like more like you. I like what you said. It's kind of like there are some that you're not a good fit for. So you maybe don't have to right. narrow it too much, but at least kind of exclude and say, well, I'm right. not going to go after some of these opportunities that are just, you know, clearly not right for me. And it's huge to be able to, even if you can't do anything with it, I think business owners really appreciate when you do have a resource that you can hand it off to so that they're not left feeling like, oh, wait, you can't help me. You know, if you've got a network of people that you can trust and you don't necessarily have to, you know, get your spiff off of it or anything like that, but just being able to hand the business over, that's a huge part of it. And I think that's super helpful. And they do appreciate that. Even if you can't help them directly, I think they appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, if you don't mind, Elena, I'd like to kind of maybe back up just in terms of the um, merchant side of things, you know, in terms of, you know, I'd like to get a sense for um, onboarding. What, what what do you see that's, I mean, that's, you know, the first interaction, right? I mean, right. that's when you know, you know, if the rubber's going to meet the, the road as a, right. as a business, right? right. So right. what's going on now that you think might, you know, it bodes poorly for um, onboarding? And what are you doing? Because as I understand that you're doing a lot to streamline the onboarding process. If you could speak to that, that would be really great. Right. Well, I think a big part of what the industry as a whole is doing wrong here is that we get it backwards and we're using humans for the parts that should be automated. Mm-hmm. And the flip side of that, we're not using enough humans where we should use the humans. So in boarding, that's one easy area. It really boggles my mind that with boarding, you know, we board accounts in a few minutes. Honestly, right. once we approve them, it's and it's not because it's a payback and we're treating them all the same. It's because it's the automation. It is, you know, we've built it so that it goes and boards with the processors. It comes right back to us and it's on our platform and they're ready to process within minutes. Um, and so I think that we need to invest in technology and you know use that automation. And then on the on the flip side of it, when you do need a human. You know, if you don't like the underwriting decision that you get, have access to humans and let them do that part of the process. Mm -hmm. Or as an agent or ISO, once you do get it boarded, 
follow up with that merchant and make sure that their experience was good and that they're up and they're running the way they wanted to and all the things that you promised them. If it's, you know, if they were price sensitive, when they get mm -hmm. that first statement, show them the statement and walk them through that and say, hey, here's what I said I was going to bill you. And, and it here it is on your statement. That's so simple. And that will be a merchant for life for you if you do stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Then I think too, once we get them up, do not give them clunky reporting and technology and do not give them statements that they cannot read and reporting that they have to you know, stand on their head and troll around three times to be able to get it to load. We have to have the technology for them to be able to access the things. This is the light, this is the, the cash flow of their business. This is the right. lifeline of their business. Show them where they have visibility into that so that they can get to that easily. So for us, that's why we decided to invest in Pioneer and building out this platform. It's our operational platform. So that's where everything happens for us. That's where we do all of our risk. We process all of our transactions. We do all of our billing. So we're using that internally. And then our merchants and our partners are able to log into the same platform so that we're not trying to transfer information from one place to another. It's all in the same place. It's always accurate and they can go get it easily. And more importantly, for customer service purposes, we're all looking at the same thing. So I'm not looking at one version of the statement or one version of my batch reports and the partner's looking at another one and the merchant's looking at another one. And we're all trying to, well, wait, what do you see? What do you see? You know, like that whole, that's, mm -hmm. that's what exists in most of the industry. Yeah. And so that was why we spent what we spent. We took, you know, funds from Secure Bank Card once we were up and going and we just threw it back at technology. We're going to put it all back into the business and it's going to be worthwhile. And it has proven worthwhile for us because we have that visibility into the business and we share it with our partners and their merchants. That's right. So interesting, Elena. I wanted to share a, just a personal experience, actually, that I think goes well with this con conversation, actually. So I have a funny story. We, As you know, we have ISOAMP, our statement analysis you know, company. So um, right. one of the ideas that I thought we, I would build off of that as we got the technology ready is, you know, a natural extension would be we can do like residual reviews for agents, right? So like send us your <laughs> statements and it's the residual reporting. I'm sure I can build an automation for this to make sure that it's accurate. And if it's not, I can find the uh, discrepancies, you know? Okay. Well, maybe not. So uh, I have now taken on four projects like that from consulting clients, like, you know, on the side, not publicly, because I'm like, I, I got to make sure that this works and then we'll build the automation. Right. Three of them I refunded. Um, I just did the last one where I was able to give them a total number. And th these are with like major, like, you know, this is not like archaic or this is like legit right. big companies. Everybody would know. And right. literally the residual reporting does not in any way sync with the schedule a or the statement the categorizations so are totally bad. different it's so bad the numbers it's make so bad no yes. sense. this like, is I'm, the problem to solve yes I'm yeah telling you, it's, it, unbelievable. it's like that yeah we, we get those kind of requests all the time from our partners hey can you compare this you know i used to have this account over here and now i have it here can you compare right. and i look at the residual reporting that comes out of some of these other you know right. entities and it is just how do you how do you know anything from that and it's, then the these are the same people that are leading with transparency and saying, you know, we give you everything that, no, you didn't give me the interchange categories. You didn't give me right. the schedule A breakdown. You didn't give me any of that. So it's, that's, I can completely understand yeah. why that would be an almost impossible project. And I yeah. hate to call anything impossible, but <laughs> yeah. it is yeah, I, I, because I everybody does it differently. Yeah. The, the last one that I did, I ended up saying, look, you know, like, 
I can't do what I said that I could do. There's just, it's no way, it's absolutely impossible. There's no way to do a line by line comparison, but we can give you the, the total margin that should have existed and the margin that your processor reported and you can compare those numbers. We can't tell you why they're different, right. but we, you know, right. it's, it's literally that bad, you know? So, right. okay. So, so let's, so I think that's interesting. Let's talk about though, what's really driving the attrition, right? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, this, this merchant support. So okay. this is so interesting to me because um, I was doing consulting recently for a payroll processing company just because they were getting into payments, you know, so I was helping them with that. And it is insane when you look at the difference between the number of calls, uh, support calls that a payroll processing company gets from a merchant versus payment processing. Like mm-hmm. payroll is getting a call like twice a month on average from every customer, <laughs> right? Right. Merchant right. services, it's like once every six months or something, right? Like, right. And, and yet we don't seem to like, think that those calls are important as an industry. We generally leave right. people on long holds. We don't give them much. So right. talk about that. You know, what, what is the impact there and, and how do you view this at Secure Bank Card? What are you guys doing about that? Okay. So the first thing is that we live in a world of self-service, right? Everybody expects to be able to go and get what they need on their own. And that was one of the reasons that we thought this investment in technology is so important because we want to shape that experience for them. So that is why we thought it was so important that they be able to log in and get everything that they need to. And it's amazing when you give them what they need. One of the funny things that when people come and visit our office, they always ask, do you outsource customer service? Because I've only heard the phone ring once in the last four hours, honestly, because everything that they need is there on the platform and they want to be able to do it that way. They want to be able to go and get their own things. And so first, have that first line of defense and give them what they need in that way. It's fine if you want to do other technology and you want to have the little chat bot and, you know, invest in other channels, but at the, at the minimum, give them that self-service option so that they can at least have that first line of defense. And if they want to get it on their own, then they can. Um, I think another important thing is if you have an issue, like I said before, stand in front of it, own it. Don't try to use the complexity of payments as an excuse for a mess up. I think it's so, it, it's, it speaks so much to people when you just stand in front of it and tell them exactly what the issue is and explain it to them. And again, say, you know, this is why it happened. This is how we're fixing it. This is how it's never going to happen again because we're doing this to fix it in an ongoing fashion, you know, so that you have addressed it completely. Um, another thing that we're big on too is when our partners ask for refunds and they want to cancel a merchant account, I think it is it is awful the way that those simple situations get treated in our industry. And we make people jump through hoops to get refunds. We make them jump through hoops to have their account canceled. If they want to cancel, you can do you know what you want to do to try to save it, but do not make them fill out five forms and fax it to five different numbers and then cancel it a month later and charge them you know, the 30 days leading up to that cancellation. That is unacceptable. It is uh, just, it, it puts our industry in a really bad light and it's all too common. Um, our view is the merchants belong to the partners and you tell me you want to cancel this account, done. We're going to cancel it for you. And it's going to be effective with the next billing cycle. You want a refund, done. It'll go out with the next funding cycle because it's their merchant. They're not ours. It just, it's, it's um, it really bothers me the way that some of these companies get this, you know, the bucket of merchants. Oh, we didn't make our number this month. So we're going to come up with the ABC fee, $19.95 a month. And they throw out these junk fees and that's the way they make their number. 
And then we wonder why we have a nutrition problem. <laughs> right. Yeah. right, right. And it's then, and then, mystery. and then it puts right. even more pressure on stick count and volume and things like that, because it's like now we, we have to sell so much in order to see growth year over year, because we have to sell so much just to stay flat. You're right. overcoming. Yes, you're right. overcoming. And then it's not just a one for one merchant account replacement. It's replacing the margin. You know, you you don't know that you're going to replace that account with one that has as good of margin as the one that you just lost. So you're trying to make right. up for that margin loss as well. So it's a game that you don't want to play. It's a game you're always going to lose. So it's better to take care of the merchants that you already have than to try to chase and chase and chase and chase. It's unproductive. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And then I think as an interesting follow up here, you know, when we talk about the agent and the ISO in this kind of merchant support you know, thing. So you mentioned mm -hmm. that, you know, in your model, you look at the merchants as like, Hey, this is the agent or the ISO's merchant. Right. Um, mm -hmm. you know, what role do they play in, you know, Hey, a customer does have an issue or they reach out or whatever. Like, how are you handling that with them? You know, are they, are you trying to keep them in the loop? Are they involved? Like what, what are your thoughts on kind of their involvement versus your involvement? I'm just curious yeah. how you guys handle so that. So we let them to the extent that they want to handle it. We let them handle it. But if someone, if a merchant calls us directly, we treat them like this is my merchant and sure. the fact that I'm going to take care of them to the extent that I can. Another thing that I love that we do is that we keep logs um, of everything that has changed on a merchant record. And we post this for our partners so that when they log into their dashboard, they can see if something, if anything at all changed, if the pricing changed, if uh, the funding method changed, anything having to do with a merchant, it is posted to their logs so they can see the old value, the new value, so that they can stay in tune with what's going on with their merchants to the extent that they wanna stay involved with what's going on with their merchants. If they wanna be a little more hands-off and let us handle it, then we handle it again, just like it's our own merchant that we're trying to keep for you on your behalf. Yeah. You know, I'm wondering, you know, one of the things that keeps coming up in, in this industry that, you know, seems to be a, a persistent argument is pricing, and margin, you know, should pricing drive margin or should margin drive pricing? I mean, you know, it all seems to kind of come down to that. And it seems to me that one or the other of these strategies is uh, going to be a, a, a help or a hindrance to attrition. You know, meaning, right. you know it's going to right. reduce attrition or it's going to make attrition worse. What's right. your what's your approach to this? What do you how do you feel about this? Well, again, so when we built Pioneer, we try to do it with flexibility. So they could come to us, and that's actually one of the main reasons when we first started, we went to one of the mega processors and said, Hey, we've got this great idea for a pricing strategy. Can you do this for us? And they said, No, that's a great idea, but this is our box. Get back in the box. And mm -hmm. they wouldn't mm -hmm. hear it. So when we built this, we tried to do every imaginable, because you just don't know. Merchants all right. need different things. Again, you don't know um, what they're going to need. So we did, you know, we can do interchange plus, we can do tier, we can do cash discount, we can do it all. And then we also built in flexibility, like having generic billing fields so that if they want to have their own, you know, James's gateway fee, and they want that to feed through to the statement, um, they could have that feed through to the statement. And it's, it's seamless for the merchant. Um, so we did a lot of, of stuff like that so that they could have their own pricing strategy because again, we yeah. look at it as it being their pricing strategy. Mm -hmm. This is not my merchant, it's our partner's merchant. 
and they need to be able to set the pricing the way that they want to set the pricing. If they want to lose money on it, I don't like it, but if that's what you feel like you need to do to, right. you know, to get that merchant on board, you're welcome to do that. This is your baseline. This is your schedule A. And if you're going to go below that, that's on you. Um, so we let them own the pricing strategy and dictate the pricing strategy and it's in their hands. We just give them the tools mm -hmm. to be able to set that to for their merchants. Decisions. Yeah. But again, we do not, my, my view is we do not as for our portfolio as a whole with all of our partners, we're not going to say there's going to be a 99.95 annual fee because secure bank card didn't have a good year and we need to make up for it. That's not the way that we operate because we know that is where attrition comes from. You are you are asking for those merchants to leave. So it's just not a great idea. And that's never our strategy because it's not our decision to make. That belongs to the partner. Yeah. Okay. I love it. I love it. So all right, let's let's talk about, you know, kind of the really the last main question I had. So um, you know, again, I know you've posted a lot of really good advice and insights on LinkedIn um, for this audience, but I'm just kind of curious if you had to pick kind of one parting bit of wisdom or advice for the agents in the ISOs, you know, they're, you know, exactly what it's like. They're out there, they're trying to grow, they're trying to build. Um, what advice would you give them that, uh, you know, you really think would help them as they're, as they're trying to grow and move forward in the industry? I would say um, I think there there needs to be consideration to or even just give it a try. Just I know we're all working so hard and we're all we've got our heads down and we're so focused on our own stuff. Lift your head up, look around, see how you might be able to help somebody else or how you might be able to share a little knowledge. You know, if you know something, if you know something from your little corner of the world that nobody else might know and you think it doesn't matter to anybody else, there's something out there's somebody out there that it does matter to. Mm -hmm. So try to just try this pay it forward mindset of just leading with sharing and trying to help other people out. And you will be amazed at the way that it comes back to you when you lead that way. It's mm -hmm. You're just going to build community. You're going to attract like-minded people. And it's amazing what that can do for you when you lead with that kind of mindset. Yeah, I love it. Stuff. Love it. Elena, this has been so interesting. Um, the pro, Even the progression, just uh, the lot, last podcast interview we did together, which I think was maybe what, two years ago or something? A couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah I think you did. Years. Yes, with yeah. Kevin. Yep. Yeah. And then, and then to where you guys are at today, I think it's been super interesting to see a company kind of building from the ground up for the ISOs and, um, and agents. And I love that because you know, let's face it, there's a lot of processing companies that are kind of going towards, you know, really after just, just integrated payments and ISV partnerships and payfax and things of that nature versus really mm -hmm. focusing on the ISO and agents. So I think it's really powerful. Um, I, I do want to uh, share some contact info. So where do you want people to, you know, find you? Where should they uh, reach out to you if they want to learn more about uh, partnering with Secure Bank Card? I think the best place is to find me on LinkedIn, James, if you search for Elena Smith and it's a lot of vowels, E-L-A-I-N-A. Um, on LinkedIn or follow our secure bank card page. Um, I like to think that we try to share content that's, it's not salesy. I don't want to be salesy personally on LinkedIn and I don't want the company webpage to come across that way either. So we try to, again, share knowledge and um, share our relationships in the industry. We do a lot of posting of pictures and stuff. And if you see us at a trade show, please stop by. We are one of the friendliest groups of people and we don't lead with sales. We just want to make relationships and build you know, networking and, and that kind of thing. So don't be afraid to come and say hi, we don't bite. I love Excellent. it. And uh, I actually even set up a little, uh, a little short code. So people would remember since it's a LinkedIn profile. Um, if you go to ccsalespro.com slash Elena, again, it's 
E-L-A-I-N-A. So ccsalespro.com slash Elena. Um, or like she said, just look her up on, on LinkedIn, Elena Smith. It'll it'll pop right up. Uh so Elena, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for I know what great, it's like to yeah. I know what it's like to make content. Uh it's not easy, <laughs> right? You're putting yourself it's a out lot there. of work. Yes, it's, it's a, a lot, lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of uh, creative work. It's a lot of, um, you know, uh, confidence and the ability to let people kind of come back at you with their opinion and stuff. And so I really do appreciate what you're doing for the industry on LinkedIn. Um, I encourage our audience to follow you. So thank you again so much for taking the time today. Thank you, James. Thank you, Patty. Sure. So Patty, I had a really interesting email actually from an agent yesterday, uh, a little bit newer to the industry. And, uh-huh. you know, um, we had sent out our most recent uh, merchant sales uh, insight edition. Uh, at the time of the, the recording this anyway, and it was uh, from Valor Paytech sponsored it actually. And they right. were talking about overcoming um, attrition, which is the top topic today in our podcast episode as right. well. Right. And, you know, in that we talked about omni-channel and they were like, what is omni-channel, you know? Um, and so I thought it'd be interesting to answer that relative to Valor Paytech. And so, Excellent you know, what, idea. one of the things that merchants are looking for today from their technology provider is they want to be able to accept payments in different ways. So, you know, when you think about, hey, here's your terminal, you can process payments there. That's nice, but the merchant might also want to send email invoices to larger, maybe contractors or other, you know, businesses they're working with. Or um, they might, and or they might want to send their staff out with a with a with a mobile dongle or something, right? Exactly. They may get phone orders. They may want to key them in on a virtual sure. terminal online rather than trying to. If any of you've ever tried to type an address into a, a standalone terminal, oh gosh, oh my goodness, yeah. it's like it's like the old texting on the flip phone. You know, it's really yes. annoying. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's much better on a keyboard, on a laptop or something. Um, right. So the idea would be a merchant wants to accept a virtual terminal, traditional terminal, standalone, you know, the, the um, you know, dongle on the mobile reader, uh, the, ver- you know, all these different things, e-invoicing, text invoicing. And so one thing that Valor Paytech does is they're a platform provider where they do have, I believe, the leading uh, terminal that exists today, several of them. They have a, a smart terminal mm-hmm. and a more of a traditional looking terminal. Right. But in addition to that, with one merchant ID, you can have a virtual terminal, mobile swiper, yeah. email invoicing, text invoicing, all these cool features, right? All these, um, and, 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 and no, like having to take off one hat so that, and putting on another so that you can deal right. with the e-commerce, for right. example, right? Everything's to, right there. Yeah. And to answer the other question, we always get, you know, again, it is a, this is a processor agnostic solution. So the Valor Paytech is not a processing payment processing company. Nope. They're a processor agnostic technology provider. So whether you're an individual agent, you're an ISO, you should reach out, go to ccsalespro.com slash Valor, V-A-L-O-R, ccsalespro.com slash V-A-L-O-R. Learn more about their incredible technology suite. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you are an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field, with James Shepard. So Patty, today on Questions from the Field, I had a really interesting uh, conversation yesterday uh, with an agent in the industry. Um, it, honestly, it's one of the things I really love about my job or career or whatever you want to call it now. Um, I, I love still taking time talking to individual agents. And this particular agent reached out to me and basically said, you know, he's kind of hit a, hit a wall lacking the motivation and just, you know, definitely not accomplishing all that he could do in the payments industry. And mm-hmm. just wanted to, to chat. And I had uh, talked to him in the past. And so 
Um, we talked on the phone and, you know, we talked about several things, you know, we, we talked about kind of the, um, the challenges that exist out mm-hmm. there, you know, um, you know, there's a lot of markets right now where, you know, cash discounting in that particular market has become somewhat saturated. Um, mm-hmm. and, and what a lot of agents are starting to see now is they're starting to see some, uh, where a lot of the merchants out there are, um, if they don't already have cash discounting, they're maybe against it or they're, they're, you know, maybe even offended by the, the, you know, suggestion in some cases. Right. Sure. Um, and then we have, you know, then we have traditional processing and it's like, well, now we're going up against all these ISVs and all these POS. And so, um, it's not gotten more difficult. I don't believe it's just changed. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so this particular agent though, we've talked about a lot of these, you know, things, these nuances, but what we really zoomed out to is, you know, I said, you know, what kind of money are you making right now? I said, if, if you didn't work this next 12 months, how much money would you make in the next 12 months if you didn't work other than maybe following up on some customer things, referrals? And he's like, oh, I'd make, you know, a good six-figure income, you know? And, and I said, okay, so why are you selling payment processing? Why are you still selling? Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, I won't go into the details of it, but bottom line is he didn't really have a very good answer for that question, you know? Uh, and what, we, what I talked to, to this individual about was I said, look, you know, you're going to get to, you've gotten to this point in your career. I said, this is a really good problem. I said, you're getting burned out because of your level of success. Right. It's much better than being burned out because of your level of failure. Like that's mm-hmm. good. At least you're not saying I'm broke and I'm always going to be broke. You're kind of right. saying I got plenty of money and I'm always going to have plenty of money. Um, but what's interesting about that, and, and we all know this kind of intuitively and from our connections that, you know, I know tons of, of uh, very wealthy individuals that are miserable. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people who don't have very much money who are very happy Um, and I know vice versa. I know wealthy people who are very happy and I know people with no money that are just, you know, a total downer. Right. Right. Um, and so what we find there is, uh, it's not really your level of success that determines your happiness. It's generally your level of growth. Um, and it's your, your level of passion and it's, you know, it's your why. Self-satisfaction or your why. Yeah. Your why. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's, why are you doing what what you do? And, And, you know, for those of us that have achieved a level of success, I mean, we've all, uh, uh, had this happen. I, I have a experience I go back to often several times in my life, two times, two major times in my business career where I got to a point where I was kind of like, what am I doing? You know, what am I, why am I working? <laughs> like, what, why am I doing this? Um, one time was several years back, I closed a really big deal where I realized, you know, okay, I can get, take care of this uh, deal. I can do the other things I have going in probably a couple of days a week. And so I'm like, what am I going to do? Do I want to go play right. golf three days a week? Do I want to live on an island. I don't know. What am I going to do? You know? And so when you run into those moments, what's really important is, you know, don't just keep blindly moving forward. It's time to take a step back. Mm -hmm. Um, I advise this individual. I said, look, take a day trip somewhere. I don't know what you're into. If you're into nature, go to the top of a mountain. If you're, you know, it doesn't just go, go somewhere, Um, get a, you know, have a pad of a paper and a pen and that's it. Turn your phone off. You know, you, you can afford to do that for a day. If something happens, that's okay. You're fine, you know, and, you know, just go somewhere where you can be alone and you've got to take time to sit down and figure out why you're doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I was told, explained to him of how, you know, in that moment for me several years ago, where I realized that there were some really big things I still wanted to accomplish, um, that I needed a lot more money to accomplish, um, mm-hmm. some charitable things I wanted to do some other things personally and with my family. And I started kind of setting some goals. And so one of the, one of my favorite questions to ask is if your income doubled, so if you made twice as much money next year as you made this last year, how would your life be different? You know, what would you do with that extra money? Um, What if your income increased uh, multiplied by 10? Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, if you made $100,000 last year, think about how would your life, your family, your, your passions, your charitable contributions, whatever it is, how would those things be different if you made 200,000 instead of 100,000? Mm -hmm. um, then how would they be different if you made a million instead of 100,000? Right. And, and as you start to think about that, and, and I mean, you, you really have to go granular, I think, to, to kind of internalize this and say, okay, so that would mean, you know, if it was, you know, if, if it went from 100,000 to 200,000, that would mean I'm making about, you know, what, 17,000 a month, I think that is, something like that. Something um, like that. Right. right. So, so imagine if next month you had 17,000 instead of your current level of around, you know, say, you know, 7,500, 8,000, right? Or I guess I'd be 9,000 or something, right? So oh, eight is 96. So, yeah. Yeah. So if you said I had, you know, eight or 9,000 a month right now, what if you had 18,000 a month or 17,000 somewhere in there? I mean, I'm talking about next month. What right. would you do with that extra money if you knew it was going to be, you know, ongoing, right? What if instead of that 9,000 a month, what if it was 90,000 a month? So imagine next month you get $90,000. What would you do? How would your life be different? And of course, right off the bat, you're going to think about these kind of superficial things that don't, don't bring you any happiness, but are kind right, of nice. Right. You know, oh, I'd buy a bigger house. I'd buy a nicer car. I'd I would want to- place at the beach, whatever, yeah. Right. You would think about these things, but let's face it. I mean, those things are cool and they're fun and I like that stuff, but it, you know, that's, that's going to be that's, a small percentage of that, right? right like ultimately right. most of you, if you've achieved any level of success and you've got some of the bells and whistles, but then you get past that and you're like, well, wait a minute, I'd still have $50,000 left, right? Like- what would I do with that? And so think about that and think about, does that matter to you? Right? Like, and, and think about what you would do. And from that, you then can create some goals that are not purely financial, but are financial for a reason. Right. And you really need that. If you're listening to this podcast and you're kind of like, you know, feeling like this person I talked to yesterday, that's kind of like, oh, I don't know about this industry. Like I, it's getting a little harder for me. I'm a little more old school. I'm trying to adjust. Is it worth making this adjustment? You know, what do I need to do? And so I think, you know, having that, that, you know, why, and you know, why am I doing this? That's a key thing. And then once you establish that and you have that motivation, like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to move forward. Then my challenge to you would be go think outside the box. So right. now, you know, you want to grow. So take a step back and be willing to sacrifice something in order to get what you want. So the reality is you don't go from, you know, you don't go from 12,000 a month to $100,000 a month as a straight line, right? You go from 12,000 a month to 9,000 a month because you pay 3,000 a month to hire some people or to make an investment in something or you know what I mean? You right. go from working 25, 30 hours a week to working 50 or 60 or at least 45, you know, right. because you're going to scale something up. You're going to train people. You're going to hire an assistant. You're going to hire a telemarketer. You're going to do some marketing, um, you know, whatever that that might be. You're going to do you're something. Gonna buy technology, you know, you know. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So you're going to do things differently um, and be ready to embrace some change because you're not going to get to where you want to go by doing exactly the same thing as you did to get where you are now. You're going to have right. to change. And the truth is, it's not worth embracing that change. I told this guy, I said, look, I said, you might go to the top of a mountain for a day and you might come down from that mountain and say, I'm going to work payment processing for two days a week. Yeah, that's cool. uh, that's maybe you don't care about the money you would make in the other three days. You'd rather take your money and you'd rather do something with your time differently. I said, go back up to the mountaintop for the other three days. <laughs> right? It's like, <laughs> there's nothing inherently wrong with that at all. That's fine. No. But, but make your decision what this guy was doing. And many of you listening are probably experiencing this. He was just going through guilt. 
because every day right. he's not working as hard as he could. He's not yes. achieving his potential. And, and he's also not doing anything else with his time because he feels like he should be selling payment processing all day, every day. And I'm like, maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't, but like go figure out what you want out of life and then map, a, a, you know, this is my plan to get there and then execute that strategy relentlessly on a day in, day out basis. But when you don't have a strong reason, you don't have a strong why, well, the problem is there, you're not going to execute any strategy and you're just going to be feeling guilty every day because you know you could mm-hmm. be accomplishing so much more, but you're not. Um, right. Guilt right. is like the worst emotion. I would rather be almost oh, yeah. anything other than guilty. Um, oh, yeah. You know, it, don't, don't embrace that. Instead, figure out what you want and then don't make excuses. Just figure out what you want to accomplish. And again, that, that might be, I want to spend a lot of time with my kids and you know whatever, like don't feel guilty about it. Just make your decision and then live with the consequences of it. And if you want to achieve more and you want to make a lot more money so you can do other things and give back, that's great. Dive in and make it happen and understand you're going to have to do things a little bit differently to get to your next goal. Great advice, James. Thank you. That's fine. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. Well, James, the assault on interchange continues. Yes. Um... You know, somebody sent me a ping me, and it may have been you a few weeks ago about legislation in Idaho that would um, is intended to ban payment processing fees on state and local taxes. Well, I I took that and I was like, I got to do some research on this, you know. And yeah, I spoke to yeah. a bunch of people in the know. I did some some research, you know, some some searching around the web, and discovered there are six states now where such legislation is in some form of pending. Wow. Okay. Colorado, Illinois, me. Idaho, of course, Indiana, Tennessee, and Wisconsin. Hmm. Wow. It's an and, eclectic group there. That's some, some Republicans, right, and, some Democrats. Some, that's, yeah. That's I mean, it spans, it spans the yeah. thing, you know, the gamut politically. And last year in Virginia, a similar bill was killed. And in Virginia last year, that, that was clearly a Democratic stronghold. So if you want to, okay. you know, yeah. say a Republican versus a Democratic issue, I don't think it is anymore, you know. Yeah. Um, huh. But, um, you know, and, and it's kind of interesting. They all pretty much look the same. I had a chance to uh, look at the an analysis of the Idaho law, and it applies to sales and use taxes, hotel and motel room taxes, and cigarette and tobacco product uh, taxes. And uh, card processors would be required to either deduct the amount, any amount of any tax imposed from the calculation of interchange-specific fees to each form of electronic payment transaction at the time or at the time of settlement, mm-hmm. okay? Or they would have to rebate, rebate an amount equal to the interchange on the tax. Now, wow. I have to tell you, I read this and I still couldn't figure out who would get the rebate. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, 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 I actually do remember. I was the one that sent you this one. And yeah, that, I, that, I was kind of like, is the mer- it seemed like maybe the merchant is getting it, but then it's kind of like. That's what it seems like. But, you know, yeah. and I asked a couple people, they were like, that's one of the questions, you right. know, like, right. uh, and then, of course, 
you know, just imagine the programming time and oh, expense it would take to do this. And especially if each state were to adopt slightly different laws, right? Different I rules. mean, and some states don't have taxes on food. Other states do have taxes on food. How do you figure out from the ticket which of those items were taxable? And right. I mean, there's well, and, I, and I think I think there's this fundamental kind of like, you know, what struck me is there's this like fundamental or like foundational bit of data that that currently does not exist, which right. is when a transaction is submitted through the gateway or whatever through the front end, right? Right. The idea that only some portion of that amount is going to be charged interchange and the other is not. Uh huh. That doesn't even exist at all. No, no, you'd have not to totally start from scratch. Right. So, so literally, this would be a matter of like from the card brands all the way down, you know, all the way to the acquirers. That would have to be created first, which would be a crazy yes. thing. Right. Then and only then you would have all every point of sale provider, ISV, whatever, servicing anything where tax is involved in that state would yes. then have to create code that when it sends through a transaction to exclude that. And so think about things like I was thinking about merchants that have a standalone terminal. Right. They don't ever, they just put the total amount in. They just from put the, the total in, right. So, so you couldn't even, so yeah, I, I think it will, I think for right now it's going to get shot down in these states just because oh, when they sure. look at implementation. But I think you're right. I think it's such an interesting like attack that's right. you know, just kind of ongoing of, of I think legislation where legislators are starting to realize that these fees are exorbitant and that something needs to be done. Well, here's the thing too, you know, there's a, there's a couple things here and this is the way I look at it. It's sort of like the messiness of legislative compromise. Okay. Mm. So way back in 2010, you know, the retailers poured all this money into, you know, creating this term swipe fee to right. you know describe interchange when hog wild lobbying Congress, we got to rein these things in. We got to rein these things in. Right. Bankers, of course, have a lot of lobbyists. They came and said, no, no, you can't do this. The compromise we got was Durban, mm. right? Which was unworkable, unusable, didn't help anybody except for the merchants. I mean, you know, I read one study that said uh, only 20% of merchants reduced prices after debit interchange was capped, right? Right, right. And, and it's so, you know, you, it just boggles the mind that um, retailers say, oh, we're trying to help the consumer. And here's where I'm going with this. There's a group called the Merchant Payments Coalition. It was created back in 2010 or thereabouts. They're the guys that came up with the term swipe fee. Mm -hmm. Okay. They just sent a letter to Congress and they are launching an ad campaign in the Washington metro area to um, basically, how did they put it? Hold on here. To, quote, educate Congress and other policymakers on what it describes as the broken card market. Mm. So they're, they're, it's a you know, six-figure ad campaign for uh, social media and, and the traditional media in Metro D.C. Sure. It's going to run up until April, which, of course, is when the new Visa and MasterCard interchange fees go into effect. Right. Which we might want to note just, you know, for people who are really new to the business, those interchange fees are changed every April and October, I believe, right? That's the revisions, typically. Yeah, yeah spring and, and fall. Spring I, can't remember, the fall. I can't remember September, October, but yeah. Yeah, September, October. And for the last two years, both Visa and MasterCard have said, nope, we're not going to we're not gonna change right. anything. We're not going to raise anything. Right. So now, you know, the retailers are like, well, it's been two years. We know they're going to raise them this time. So let's go to yeah. Congress 
and complain. And uh, so I, I, I got to look at two of the ads. One yeah. says, large U.S. credit card companies and banks take hard-earned money out of consumers' pockets every day. What's worse, they want to take even more. Stop unfair fees, tell Congress to reform credit card swipe fees. The other one is, while the country is still on the road to recovery, credit card companies and banks are still raising fees that already cost businesses and consumers billions of dollars. Support small businesses. Tell Congress to reform credit card swipe fees. Hmm. The, uh, yeah. the, the attack is on. <laughs> yeah. you know? yeah, well, and, and I do think it'll be interesting because I do think Visa and, you know, MasterCard are at an interesting crossroads because, you know, what are they going to do in April? I mean, you know, it, it's a risky, it's, it's a, a risky, risky thing. And, and yeah. I think it goes back to like for our audience, I think. For those that kind of wonder about things like, well, why isn't, you know, Visa pushing back more on things like cash discounting that is, you know, not compliant with their rules and thing, and they kind of wonder where is Visa at? It's mm -hmm. like, well, Visa's dealing with other battles right yeah, now. Right. Exactly. And, and these are, these are, you know, anything that can paint them uh, as anti-business and, you know, whatever, um, anti-small business. Anti-small business. That's, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's like, nobody wants to be anti-small business right no, now. And, and right now they're, you know, that's the only reason. And it's funny too, to me, everybody, you know, I, I keep hearing how Visa pushed back their increases in, in the fall. Right. Well, they didn't really. I mean, they did push back some of the increases and they were able to say that they just pushed them back. I'm not sure how they pulled that off from a PR perspective. I mean, I own a state, I own the leading statement analysis company. I know that they increased the interchange because I had to go, you know, my team had to go into our system and, and change, change the things. interchange table. And I right. saw what they did. They got rid of lower. What they did was they, you know, say you have a, uh, an interchange category with like three tiers, uh -huh. you know, 1.95, 2.15 and 2.95. Right. Well, what they did is they got rid of the lowest category in some cases uh -huh. and said, well, all of those are now going to be in the middle category. Huh? Uh -huh. Well, you just increased the effective cost of energy. Yes, and I'm talking did. about these are major categories. We actually did an interview not too long ago with um, Kyle from MPI talking about this with restaurants. Remember the effect? Right, that had, right. That's right. Yeah. Uh -huh. you know, so, so I think I think they are. I agree with you. I think they're definitely going to need to find a way to increase their bottom line profits in April. Um, yeah. how, what that's going to look like exactly? I don't know. I don't know. I think they're you know they're, it's a tightrope, and I think that. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is sort of like in my way, in my way of thinking, it's sort of re retailers saying it better not be bad or we're really going to yeah. you know, rake you over the coals. And, and I think and I think Visa and MasterCard now, I guess my, the point I'm making is I think what we're going to see moving forward is we're going to see them leverage the complexity of interchange to their advantage from a PR perspective. And I, sure. I don't think we're going to see any more interchange increases, quote unquote. I think we're going to see a lot of interchange updates and we've made revisions to account for the change in business today. Yeah, you're right. I and agree. there's, and they're going to say, oh, look, here's some categories that we decreased. And it's like, well, nobody really uses those very much. And then mm -hmm. here's a couple we increased. Well, those are the ones everybody uses all the time. And then, oh, and here's some changes that we made. And all those changes are going to be increased in revenue. So I think we're going to see, I think what, what happened in the fall, I actually it's don't happen think, in April. Yeah, I don't think that yeah. was a delay of, oh, we're going to push back our increases. I think that's the new normal because yeah. I think I think that they're at a point now where they just don't have the political capital right now, I don't think, to do a big price increase like they used I to. I, I don't think it's I think it's going to be received so poorly that it's too big of a risk. So I'm, I'm expecting to see a significant um, interchange, you know, effective increase. But I'm not I'm, I'm not 
uh, thinking that they're going to be presenting it that way. I think it's just going to no, be like No, I think like the an, PR is going to be completely different spin. Yep. It'll be interesting yeah. to see how it comes out. It will. It will. Thanks, Patty. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.